I think that the key is actually what you just said in terms of driving business outcomes. It has to start with the business strategy because there really isn't a separate talent strategy in absence of a business strategy. Hello, and welcome to The Talent Blueprint, your guide to building a talent-first company. Today's episode features an interview with Marin Wagner, Senior Vice President, Digital and Customer People Partner at Walmart. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery. Beamery's talent lifecycle management platform makes it possible for companies to deliver more human talent experiences and unlock the skills and potential of their global workforce using industry-leading AI. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second season of the Talent Blueprint. Today, I am super excited to be joined by Marin Wagner. Marin, thank you so much for joining us. Been really looking forward to, uh, to this conversation. To kick us off, we'll start with our first section. What's your talent? Marin, what does your role involve and what is it that you, you love about this career and, and why did you choose it? That's a great question. You know, I think what's exciting is talent, it's really about people and the impact people can make on companies, on their day-to-day work, and then really even on society and communities at large. If I play that into Walmart, being such a large employer and having such a large workforce and so much talent in an organization, just amazing to see what our talent does each and every day. So I'm super excited about the impact that talent can play at a micro as well as a macro scale. And it's super exciting, the scale of impact that you can have in talent in an organization like Walmart. Few organizations impact quite so many people's lives. I had a read about some of the work that you've done and putting the human in human resources. I'd love to dig in more into how you think about your talent strategy and the broader strategy of the talent function. How have you been thinking about what that looks like and driving business outcomes in HR? Yeah, I mean, I think that the key is actually what you just said in terms of driving business outcomes. It has to start with the business strategy because there really isn't a separate talent strategy in absence of a business strategy. So it has to start on the business side of things. And so in my role today in Walmart US and how we're thinking about the evolving retail business from an omni-channel perspective, both on the site, in the app, as well as in the store. We talk about, you know, the closest stores that we have really across our geographies, the closest to the customer, but then also the closest store now is in everybody's pocket. And so really bridging that experience from a retail perspective, understanding that, and then the talent implications of that is important. And then meanwhile, we're also investing in other growth areas of the business that are not necessarily retail related, like health and wellness, financial services, and other areas. And I'll be honest too, to your point on putting the human back in, it's a little bit of an art and a science too, because there's macro processes to put in at scale that help drive the operational rhythms once that strategy is set. But then it's also not a one size fits all. In the end, it is important that there's individual conversations because we can't lose that human touch. From what you're describing, there are so many starting points to connecting that business strategy and the changes in the market that we're operating in with talent strategy. With all of those possible opportunities of where to start, what was the biggest one that you saw when you first started at Walmart? You know, I think it's having a clear framework on how to start to develop something from a strategic lens. As I mentioned, first is understanding the business environment, everything from business strategy sessions. It also means listening. We spend a lot of time on listening to our employees, listening to our leaders, and making sure we get a wide range of perspectives before starting to formulate one's own opinion and strategy. I think looking at data is the other piece, and that's business data, outcomes, where do we have gaps, where do we see trends, as well as people or HR data. And then lastly, I think we've got to look outside of our own four walls as well. 
being steeped in data decisions you make is, I think, very front of mind for a lot of leaders now as we're navigating some uncertain times. This takes us nicely to our next segment, Building Talent First. You've spearheaded HR transformations a number of times. What have been the keys to success in the previous experiences that you've had and what kind of patterns have you seen in managing HR transformations? Yeah, it's a great question. I think HR transformation is definitely a word on a lot of people's minds these days. You know, some of the best practices, what I would share, and maybe some stories along the way, as well as some pitfalls and learnings, we are more steeped in data now than we were. If I think about recently, even at Walmart, how we've continued to crystallize the HR function, work through an operating model, how we support the business, we've been much more steeped in the type of data we look at. So an example I would give here is, you know, we look at even our field HR function supporting our stores. In the end, it's, it's customer net promoter score that we're driving in the scores. We look at this on a weekly basis and then can back into the people levers or what are we doing to staff those stores to make sure we've got the right leadership in place, to make sure we've got the right training in place and selection processes that ultimately, you know, have an outcome on, let's say, customer NPS. So data is your friend, <laughs> number one. Number two, I would say there is a required, I think, energy and enthusiasm when leading through change. If we think about building habits and everything we know from a psychology perspective on creating new habits, creating change, there is an upfront energy involved with that to change behavior. And I think that can't be forgotten when you're leading large-scale transformational change. And the last thing I would say that's helped me in all three companies actually on HR transformation is being steeped in external best practices too. And I think that's a fine balance of it's not a one-size-fits-all. It's bringing in those insights and then making it your own. One thing, for example, we've done on that, I would just share from the Walmart side is we've been very deep in kind of HR shared services. What does that transformation look like? We actually met with other companies and talked about how are they approaching it? What are they doing? We collected that data. And then we had an internal project team stood up around this to help drive that change that was cross-functional in nature, had the right stakeholders, and we celebrated wins. You know, we had stand-ups every week and we talked through the progress that we needed to make we were transparent and vocal and visible about what we were doing. And those were some of the ingredients that have led us to making huge progress. I love how you've connected those three pieces of the thing that comes across in some of the examples you gave. I think this is one of the most important things I've seen across our customers and across the industry as being so key to driving success, taking those small measures and looking at the lead indicators. And I think when it comes to metrics, there's lots of lead measures, there's lots of business outcomes. How do you focus in on what to measure? So the first conversation I think needs to be, what are the outcomes we're trying to get to? And then what are the inputs that help us get there? And that requires a little bit of conversation, especially I found this in the HR space because there's a lot of conversations on things like turnover, as an example. We might want to reduce turnover and that might be a positive thing based on the business strategy we're trying to drive and therefore a talent strategy, but what actually affects turnover? And so when we think about retention strategies and inputs into that, that's going to be what's important. One example I give here, we're actually working on our engagement survey for this year and have actually taken that in-house and done a validation study and been very clear around engagement is the outcome and why engagement is important. I think we all know in the HR industry, there's lots of research around engagement and drives, you know, intent to stay and drives productivity, really good business outcomes we'd want. But then it's about what are the drivers of engagement and what are the items like by question level that we're going to measure and how do we bucket them into constructs around total rewards, into career development, into leadership. 
and validate that to then have an impact on engagements. And we want to reduce turnover and that shows up on somebody's goals. But we need to actually, to your point, do a much more rigorous job up front on why are those outcomes important? Are they the right outcomes? Step two, once we have that, what are the drivers to get to those outcomes? And then focusing on those. And the last thing I would say on those drivers piece, less is more. And so what I'd recommend here is look at the right outcomes you're trying to measure based on your talent strategy. Then look at what are the drivers to get to those outcomes. We've seen some really interesting data points in this regard when it comes to the connection between engagement and retention. And to your point around less is more, one of the patterns we've seen is that engagement with self-development is a very strong predictor of productivity and retention. And you might not have a good way of measuring productivity directly in every area of the business, but you can measure engagement and it's often a very strong indicator of that. It's an interesting point around how you figure out those less is more driving strategies. It requires being able to roll out some of these things, monitor them, and then you can strip it back. And with that, of course, there's a lot of change management that helps support. We do see, however, a lot of organizations struggle with getting past that first hurdle. It often involves big culture changes. When it comes to navigating cultural change, what have been some of the biggest friction points that you've run across and how have you managed those? Sometimes going slower to then go fast is the right thing. So before we launch something, kind of staying on the data trend here, have we thought about outcome measures we're trying to affect? What are the the drivers we're setting up and measure them across time to actually see, are we getting to the change that we want? Pilot programs sometimes can be a very good part of change management, right? Kind of help gave buy-in early on. And so at Walmart, we have a very strong pilot culture as well. What I sometimes find is a hurdle in those pilots is we're not as clear upfront and are less rigor on what are we actually measuring in that pilot and then making sure we regroup and say, did it actually do what you want it to do? What are the input variables to tweak to get to a better outcome? And now we're ready to scale it. I imagine the change that comes with it is different to many companies, given the kind of scale that you operate at and going from pilot to a rollout of hundreds of thousands of employees can look quite different to many businesses. You were part of a team that had to quickly hire nearly 200,000 employees. How did you manage handling that process and going back to what we touched on earlier, managing to emphasize the human in a process that has so much volume? Yeah, I think two things. One is kind of how did we get that stood up so fast? So to really reduce our hiring process from about two weeks to 24 hours, you know, this gets a little bit to change management too and prioritization. And so at the onset of the pandemic, right, we're all in crisis mode collectively, globally, really. And it puts really a lot of emphasis on the value of HR to help drive what it was that the business needed to. In the Walmart case, you know, we had a lot of essential workers we needed to hire to make sure that we could keep operations running and support our communities and our customers, you know, literally for day-to-day food and get food delivery to their homes. And what that enabled was very clear prioritization because it required legal, tech, product, design, process teams, business teams, or HR teams all working together to figure out how we were going to reduce that process to get to ultimately the goal of 24-hour hiring. And there was a very clear business case to do that, not just for our own business, but quite frankly, community-wise, which goes a little bit back to our very first question of just the importance of talent and the impact that it can have broadly in communities to serve. We were also very clear and inspirational around the mission. So we did not say hey, the goal is to remove 25 steps in the hiring process. The goal was get to 24-hour hiring. That is something inspirational that gets people rallied around that. And it's more inspiring than to say, hey, we're going to cut 75% steps in our hiring process. That feels less inspiring. The cross-functional piece as well, being very clear on the stakeholders up front, bringing product and tech and legal along with us on the front side. 
And then I think to the point on the human side of it is, you know, when you bring in talent, it's that art and science piece, right? So you want to have really good rigorous selection assessment methodology and automate as much as you can there to get speed and scale. But meanwhile, you still have a personal touch as it relates to onboarding making sure future employees are set up for success as soon as they walk into a building. Well, on the topic of a human and personal element to these things, you've talked openly about your very serious health struggles and the lessons about resiliency and perspective that have come from those experiences. How have you thought about applying those lessons in the HR world? I've always liked the construct of resiliency. At Claremont Graduate University, where I got my PhD, positive psychology is a core embeddedness into the program. And my research papers was actually on psychological capital, which includes self-efficacy, hope, optimism, and resilience, and how those come together to help in times of crisis. I think what I've learned there is you need good support around you. And I think the same thing applies to work as well. You can't do it alone. You can't lead change alone. You can't go through difficult times alone. You need a support team around you. You need somebody to call at the end of the day to digest, to vent sometimes, and to celebrate. And I think the other one is it gets a little bit maybe to the inspirational point and positivity is I'm by nature a glass half full type of person. That's helped me. And I keep that up you know, at work too when it comes to driving change. I think very powerful advice for anybody to be able to remind themselves of those positivities. And you talk about the lesson that we have to learn for ourselves of not being alone and having somebody to talk to. I think certainly going through difficult times is something that you're not alone in an environment like this. Over the last couple of years, our worlds have changed. Our consumer behavior has changed. What we expect from work has changed. And this shift in broader consumer behavior and how this connects with the changes in the roles of HR is something you talk about a lot. So I'd love for you to elaborate a little bit on how you've thought about the connection between those shifts that we've been going through and the shifts in consumer expectations and how that's really impacted to changes in the role of HR. I mean, I think it's absolutely critical. I think it's a key ingredient to A, the role of HR and priorities and where we play, as well as our talent strategy. What does the workforce of the future look like? based on consumer behaviors and shifts, based on also different employee expectations, as well as what are the skills and capabilities we need to drive our business model forward. So if you combine all those things of like shifts in consumer behaviors and macroeconomics to shifts in employee expectations and kind of employer-employee contract, a psychological contract and what that looks like, to then also thinking about different business strategies and where we're trying to play competitively and win, kind of put all those pieces together that actually helps to inform your workforce plan and therefore then your talent plan underneath that to leverage that strategically. And I think that's a really interesting body of work for HR to be right in the middle and the center of, which I'm really excited about. Secondly, I think the digital employee experience is something HR should be all over. And so tech and HR at the table together with product, with user design as well. We spend a lot of time talking about UI, UX design, the programs, the processes that HR implements have they actually been designed in a way of the end consumer, which could be the employee in mind, and to make sure that somebody's work life or life at work doesn't feel as different as somebody's life outside of work when we think about how digitally connected we are on devices. And then lastly, I would say well-being and the conversation around well-being and the types of culture and environment you're creating as an organization. In rolling out well-being programs and tackling this topic at Walmart, what have been employees' reactions? 
we've tackled the well-being side in a couple of different ways over the last couple of years. And I'll kind of mention two examples. We have over 200 academies, so actually physical training facilities for our frontline across the U.S. And so we've actually embedded into the training there, well-being training as well, as our associates go and travel and take training to upskill for their day-to-day job or leadership training, we infuse that with well-being training. And then secondly, another example um, that's been pretty well received is we've infused things called well-being minutes. And so that's usually we pick a senior leader who very transparently, vulnerably is open to sharing what they do for their well-being. And so we actually kick off some of our key meetings with a well-being minute and share a story. And that's been resonated really well. People appreciate the transparency, the different lenses that particularly senior leaders um, have with that. And it sets a tone at the top as well that makes it okay to talk about and people really feel comfortable then sharing their own stories from that as well. I really love that. I think it's super powerful. On the topic of the broader ideal experience of an employee, what have been some of the successes that you've had in driving towards that ideal experience of Walmart and what have been some of the reactions there? Yeah, I think in terms of kind of employee experience overall, it's a little bit like, you know, you take the parallel of the customer experience and at the core of our customer experience, right, we do measure net promoter score. And so one thing that we've put in as well, when we roll out new features on tools or devices for our own employees is to measure employee net promoter score. We do want to ask, how likely are you to recommend this? What is your feedback on it? So Really, the mindset we're trying to use, just like the parallel on the customer side is, look at it at kind of the feature level. Is it working? Yes, no, thumbs up, thumbs down. We have to take that type of mindset also to the HR processes and programs we build. And ideally, if it's a delightful employee experience, they will let us know that if we've created those mechanisms to test for it. When you talk about the importance of connecting the workforce plan of what skills do we need in our business and how do we connect that with business strategy, That's an area where there is now so much new opportunity to leverage technology. Because one of the challenges with answering that question of what skills do we have in our business, what skills do we need, is we don't have very easy ways of collecting that information. Most businesses don't know what skills their employees have. It's hard to ask an employee what skills do you have and have a good answer. We need to be able to infer that from the work they do and not map that manually. And we now have a lot of new technologies and artificial intelligence that's finally solving that problem of effective inference, which is activating a whole world of new possibilities and how we can actually create business strategies that dynamically adjust. And this is super exciting to us. This is a cool piece of technology that we've been building over the last couple of years. But it then touches on your point around the possibilities of marrying new technologies with digital employee experience. I think of it in many ways as an opportunity that's similar of going from physical maps to something like Google Maps. When you can help people place themselves within their careers and look at different routes and paths, you can create an experience that's a lot more guided and help people browse options. But with all of that, there's obviously some key best practices that you have to drive towards in the workforce planning, the the, the mapping to business outcomes, thinking about employee experience. If you had to narrow down within those buckets, what would those top two or three best practices be? Know your talent, like really know your talents. That's both at the systematic level of we've got tools in place to identify skills and capabilities and education and interests and mobility of where HR can play from a process perspective, but also at the individual level perspective. I think secondly has to be like, know your jobs. What are the jobs we have today? What are the requirements? What are the jobs that might be shifting? Where do we see jobs growing into the future? I think that's another piece where systematically you want to capture some of that and leaders and managers should be very attuned to that. And also HR plays a big role in that too, to help define job requirements, job descriptions that might be new and emerging that we've never thought about before or other ones where the skill set and requirements are changing quite a bit. So if you know your talent, you know the jobs, 
those are the core ingredients you need at first to think about a workforce strategy because it's, you know, what's the type of work your workforce is doing? In many ways, the two are so connected. One of the best ways to know your jobs is to consider your talent. Who are the people in those jobs and vice versa? This takes nicely to, to our next section, the future of talent. If you fast forward five years, what do you think are the biggest things that will have changed in the world of talent? One that I think would be really interesting to explore is what does that new employment contract look like? What's the difference between different schedules? And I'm going to talk kind of hourly here between full-time, part-time, different flexible shifts. So we're already testing some of those things, but I think at the core of, I think about our our really broad frontline workforce is what does that mix look like? Because people are looking to balance work and life. And so just thinking more flexibly about work arrangement, I'd be curious. And then how do we tap into other populations as well? Like, you know, teachers and education who might be very willing to teach some training in a corporate environment or different types of environment, but only for the duration of the three months in the summer. Just use that as an example, but like exploring that area. I do think the digital side of things is going to be another aspect to pay attention to. I think already there's a lot of focus on HR technology. There's a lot of investment in HR startups, HR technology that's coming up in different ways to reimagine what does that employee experience look like. And then lastly, I do think there's a piece around culture, which is around career growth, talent, opportunity, and how do we create opportunities in different types of education and opportunities for people to grow so that joining a company means also that you have a place to grow your career, you're learning new skills in a broader talent marketplace. And we at Walmart define well-being really by three things more broadly, which is around financial well-being, physical well-being, and emotional well-being. And so I'm really excited about doubling down on really well-being more holistically, at least for us defined by those three areas and what that brings in the future. The well-being point is also in some ways connected with the flexibility point for many people that the choices of where you work, how you work, obviously is a key contributor. But that flexibility also is a really core part of what we're seeing as the emerging way to provide development opportunities. What else comes to mind for you as key ways of thinking about talent management to help organizations develop resilience and become more recession-proof? I think the other one is probably more in the learning space. There's a lot that can be learned around the resilience space, creating psychological safe workplaces. And so we spend a lot of time on that and investing in some of those soft skills really from top down because that drives the culture as well. And so I would add that as another component that's important from a talent management perspective is also on the talent development side of things because those types of skills are also oxygen masks they can put on, not just at work going through different areas, but also at home and in life. Thank you so much, Maren. This has been such an enjoyable conversation. I've really enjoyed these topics. It's been such a pleasure hosting you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be with you today. Thanks for having me. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery. Beamery's talent lifecycle management platform makes it possible for enterprises to drive more human talent experiences and unlock the skills and potential of their global workforce with industry-leading AI. Beamery optimizes every step of the talent lifecycle, from sourcing and identifying talent with the right skills and potential, to building and marketing your employment brand, creating an internal talent marketplace, and mobilizing your employees through getting the reporting and talent insights that you need to make better decisions about your workforce. Are you ready to unlock your talent? Learn more at Beamery.com.